Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the November 28th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since the end of 2018, we have featured over 135 poets in 16 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Colton Nephew. Hi, Colton. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, Imogen. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to um, to be your guest today. I look forward to our discussion. Good, good. I'm really glad. Um, so you brought with you your poem, The End Call. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. As customs go from where I come from, I'll be doing a, a traditional introduction in my language. So, sure. uh, Hello, everyone, my friends, my relatives, those who are listening far and wide. My name is Colton Nephew, and why I've shared with you is my um, is how I identify myself as a Navajo individual. I am of the Many Goats clan, born for the Honeycomb Rock clan. My paternal grandparents are of the Ute people division of the Red Running Into the Water clan, and my paternal grandparents are of the Tobacco clan. So mm-hmm. in this way, i like to just greet you all with a warm welcome. I come from the Navajo Nation, explaining um, why I just introduced myself and the Navajo language. So I'm so glad to be here. I am a third-year student at the University of Southern California, um, majoring mm-hmm. in journalism as well as a minor in English. and. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, personality-wise goes, i really um, been diving more into poetry ever since the pandemic started, actually, and okay. so that's where it kind of le- led me here today, and if anything, I I love dogs. I really just love dogs. <laughs> dogs are wonderful. Uh, what about that vicious cat you told me about before? Ah, <laughs> uh, that vicious cat. We will never know, and I choose not to know with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Mom's the word. I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your poetries, uh, such as, like, when did you start writing poetry? Yeah, actually, I feel like it's been a journey on its own, not with just poetry, but writing, because I've always known myself and others have known me to be a a more of a stronger writer ever since my high school years. Mm -hmm. And so... I've kind of always known that I've had um, some some strength in writing opposed to any other areas like other arts or anything. So I've always known I had a strong suit for writing with essays and everything like that. Um, mm. And so I never really considered poetry as an avenue to delve into because um, I think it's just because how it's taught in, mm. you know, in this day and age. And there's so much structure and everything, which is good. But... I think for me, especially with my identity, I never knew how to combine them both because poetry 
has always been, you know, a Western, a Western type of, you know, European type of ideal that's been perpetrated with poets who are, you know, are white and they do have this structure to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never felt like I really felt a place in poetry mm-hmm. just because it, I, I went against my, my identity as a whole. And, mm-hmm. um, that I, so I always um, kind of sh- um, shied away from it. It wasn't until recently, this past year, with the um, with um, the uh, onset of the pandemic, mm-hmm. that I decided to get into poetry. I actually bought a journal, <laughs> <laughs> and I intended the uses for my for just writing poetry. And so over the summer, over last summer, I decided I would go out. I like running. Actually, I'm a very active person, so mm-hmm. I would go out into nature where I really like to run because I live close to the reservation and so um, there's just a lot of open area to run out um, so I decided to start running again and after my runs I would sit there and just kind of catch my breath cool down but also just tune into nature and what always struck with me was the the sunsets actually and mm-hmm. the, where I'm from I'm from New Mexico and honestly if you ask me I I fully believe that the Southwest has the best sunsets in the world. And so I started using that. I tied a lot of the imagery into the emotional aspect of it. And I like incorporating my culture into that because I truly believe in my beliefs, my cultural beliefs, and mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly believe in them. And so I kind of translated that into my writing. Mm-hmm. And so... I didn't know who else to look up towards either because, you know, Native American poetry is not well known. Mm. Um, it's a very, I guess, niche type of community. You either know it or you don't. And so I didn't know who to look up to, honestly. All the other poets I read were non-Native. And, mm. you know, as good as their works are, they just didn't, like, kind of speak to me as they usually would to others. And so that's where I found myself at the cross path. And I kind of... Um, diverged away from poetry again mm-hmm. when the semester picked up at the school it started the school year but I started like figuring out um, more poetry and I got into the works of Leslie Mormon Silco who's a Laguna Pueblo writer mm-hmm. and recently I've been into Joy Harjo who's a Muskogee um, poet writer mm-hmm. and playwright and so I especially with that using them as like kind of core you know someone to look up to that's where my my poetry kind of started going off by using just reading and imagining and feeling their words their poems and kind of seeing what they use the type of language and how they incorporate the individual cultures into them Mm. and so it kind of leads me to where i am today now where i kind of feel more i guess um more stable in what my writing is and how to go forth with it using these influences that I look up to and my own experiences and my culture to go from past into now to look into the future. So that's just a little bit about me. That's cool. That's really wonderful that that you are able to um, especially find some of the poets, indigenous poets, uh, who are speaking to you more and drawing out the poetic practice from you as well and that you are invoking your love of nature and your relationship with nature especially during this these runs to to tease that out in your poetry i imagine you must know because you you did that's how we met we went to the labriola center it was a celebration of indigenous women especially uh reading poetry reading so 
there are a, a number of well-known poets, uh, especially from the Southwest, that are Diné, such as Laura Tohi and uh, Jake Skeets, I think is also Diné, Sherwin Batsui. These are quite well-known, not just in the indigenous world, but uh, just well-known poets in general. And uh, Sarayat, Sarayat, I, I keep forgetting exactly how to say the A in her name, Sarayat, Sarayat Taylor, oh my god. <laughs> she was the former Phoenix poet, uh, Youth Poet Laureate, uh, just the immediate last this year past. So I, I think you, you saw her read, too, at that event yeah. we met. Yeah. I don't know if you've had a chance to get into their poetry as well, given how much uh, schoolwork you have. Actually, I mean, aside from um, schoolwork, you know, I guess just in the age of social media, that's how I've also been able to find a lot of, you know, contemporary type of um, poet, um, indigenous poets and connecting with them, and when you brought up um, Soraya, Soraya, I'm so sorry if I pronounced your your name wrong, if you ever listened to this, but yeah, I actually was able to, like, um, meet her over Instagram, and it's just amazing to me, like, her poems, and how behind that, that's her whole environmental advocacy, Mm -hmm. and and I just like getting influencers from, you know, like, poets now, and especially indigenous, and so that's how I've been connecting with a lot of people as of lately. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. I was wondering, since you did the introduction in Diné Biza, uh, if you also write in Navajo. See, that's the thing. I think it's just like, not only just just on poetry, but I guess just writing as a whole, because, you know, the Navajo language is it's been just um, spoken and or mm-hmm. orally, but as of recently, like within the past century, I think it's um, gotten its written form. However, um, that's still one thing I don't know, really, just mm-hmm. because it's such a new thing to not only me, but to the rest of my people, the writing, the writing form of it. And so I usually don't tend to write in Navajo just because I know how to say the words but mm-hmm. I don't know how to write them down. And there could be so many different ways to write them down just based on like trying to sound it out and everything. So I don't really write my poems in Navajo. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah, unfortunately, with the colonization of the Americas, the destruction of indigenous language was part and parcel of the taking over of the land. I think now would be a great time for you to share your poem with us, the end call. If you don't mind reading it. Yeah, I have it right here. Here's my poem, the end call. I wrote this, I would like to say, this year actually, Mm. probably in January. And I will just read it and then I will give an explanation or leave it to be um, up to our discussion but here it is the end call as the sun aims his way to the distant mountains the sky flushes lavender and rose so are our earthly cheeks and bodies as we snug our two worlds closer together galaxies away a distant ringing pierces the heavens above entering our home made of adobe with clay tinted red from the sun-kissed passion we mixed in together. Loneliness rings again, with a faint whisper beckoning the one who loved me back. 
demanding the return of the lover to their home of solitude with no connection. Our home now grows quiet, clouded with shock. Soon, the ringing roots itself deep in the house of limbo. I rush my legs over the steps of dread, each step wearing my heart of steel down until the destination is unweariedly met. Nothing I can offer can stop your heart and body from traveling to distant lands. Not even the songs the celestials sing to each other every night can call you back. That paint the night skies and waves of gold, primrose, and magenta. The crow cries the message of heartbreak, just as the rose mourns for the warmth of summer back, for it cannot bloom for a hundred days. Even after you have left me, your angelic spirit still resides in me, lingering for all eternity as a bittersweet reminder. I will never forget you. Thank you. It's it's such a pretty poem. It's just the, all the colors in it, and the sunset that you mentioned. Yeah, I, I was floored by the sunset that I encountered in Phoenix and the valley. It's I just don't know how what what makes it so gorgeous. I'm just like every time I see it, I'm just it feels like uh, a dream come true. Yeah, honestly, does <laughs> and so yeah. I, I guess just a little off, but uh, that's the one thing I always said when I went to USC because there's a lot of people from you know the West Coast. Mm. But I always tell them you have to go see the sunset in the Southwest. It's just a different type of beauty waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know what's in the atmosphere that's making it just so something it's just like it's like a natural filter you know <laughs> it is it honestly is i never went anywhere in the world where the sky is just so it's like a vibrant it's the vibrantness of it yeah. all in the sky yeah. the richness of the colors that truly you get shades of yellow that delve into gold you get shades of purple that reach lavender you reach shade there's so much and they blend together and yeah. The sad part that I always feel sad but always grateful for it is the sunset. Oh, like the, it's all, it's always like a prime time to watch it, but it's only short. You have to be there and you have to just be in a sense of gratitude to take it all in. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is also the other aspect, not just looking at the sunset, but also feeling the gratitude and the warmth and all the emotions from it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely does stir something in you doesn't it that that beauty that's saturation of colors um so you have mentioned before you started reading that there is a backstory to this so i I would love it if you can share that with us yes like honestly like all poets i feel like you can't be a poet without at least writing one poem about heartbreak I feel like it's a rite of passage or mm-hmm. it's it's just something that's unknowingly done. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I did write this after, you know, um, my first um, serious relationship and feeling the after effects of it. But mm-hmm. um, with that, 
you know, I found my my healing journey in writing, um, mm-hmm. not only poetry but journaling. But poetry kind of served that bridge to, you know, all these feelings. You know, you could be like just like the on the on any other movie, you could be crying while eating <laughs> a tub of ice cream or yelling or <laughs> all those emotions, but. I also helped me bridge that to kind of bring me to a calmer state to like, yeah, I can say all that, but in a more descriptive, amazing way. Like I just redirect all that energy into poetry. Mm-hmm. So when I was writing this, I was sitting under a juniper tree towards the end of the of the evening during the sunset, mm-hmm. and just the feelings washed over me again. You know, it's a, always a healing journey after a heartbreak, and that's something we always take, but. I was just sitting there feeling the emotions, embracing them, and making them feel okay. And in that, I looked at the sky, and something about it, I feel like, I just feel like sometimes the sky speaks to me, or like nature speaks to me. So when Mm -hmm. I wrote this, I was kind of bringing all my emotions together Mm -hmm. with certain aspects of nature that tie into my culture, like the sun aims his way, making this personifying the sun, which is very, you know, not only in my culture, but many indigenous cultures. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of putting that together. And so I don't know or remember why, but I wanted to connect it to like a phone call. I just wanted that because it really felt like, because in quite honestly, it did, you know, the, the heartbreak did end with the, with the over phones. And mm-hmm. so I feel like that was kind of full circle for me in my healing journey to kind of touch up on that. Mm-hmm. And so... I wanted to get more descriptive with it. I wanted to tie in more imagery into it. And so that's where it led me into reading to this. This like you can I feel like you can feel it, the heartbreak or the pain, like the slowness of it, like it's like mm-hmm. dreading on and yeah. it's like, oh no. So that was just kind of my whole thought process behind it. But I, I truly love this poem as well. Yeah. It is heartbreaking. You you can feel it. You can feel the depressive uh, feeling from the narrator at the same time you're also bathed in this beauty that does give you a sense of hope of what will come in the future and i love how this idea of bittersweetness right the that you still call your ex-lover an angelic spirit um, that you'll never forget them. It's such a healthy, healthy poem, by the way, emotionally healthy poem. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm just used to never wanting to see the person ever again. When we <laughs> yeah, if you would have only been there before I wrote this poem, <laughs> what I was like yelling in my car. <laughs> That's just a little funny, yeah. But I redirected that energy into how I felt like a kid. Make it make it make me feel good, honestly. And mm-hmm. I write these poems for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that was something that kind of just helped bring this sense of calmness over the situation. It's not an easy situation, but this little act of I guess kindness to my heart. Mm-hmm. Like I can be angered, I can be everything, but I can tell myself it's okay. It's gonna be okay. No matter what happens, it's okay. You just gotta let them go and continue life and going back to what you said that bittersweetness because i never thought about that with this poem but it is bittersweet yeah it really is because i think with heartbreak right sometimes it's very difficult to see all the beauty that remains in the world 
that surrounds us, even as our heart is breaking, as well as all the wonderful promises of the future. Yeah, yeah. And going off of that, I guess, like, we often, like, I won't even say we, I I won't speak for myself singularly because this is my experience, but I feel like it's a shared experience. But, you know, heartbreak, you know, you feel as though the world's ending and mm-hmm. you feel all these emotions <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, um, it's valid, um, but I think you always got to, like, bring yourself back up. You just got to remember who you are and you got to remember that love transcends everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. it's just how you look at it and you need to, like, to that mindset of you know it's so what if it didn't work out there's still love i still have nothing but love in me and i don't need love from other people and that was the one thing i delved into that's why i didn't bring in a lot of my my nature into my poetry is because i do really feel the love from these beings because you know i think it's just like my culture that gets in, put into it and being taught from that like the trees have life they have a spirit, the skies do, and we're children of them all, so they they give us love, and you got to remember that, and so that's what's kind of helped me in this situation, but also in all my poetry, that there's nothing but love out there. Mm. <laughs> when you feel the sun, you know, kiss your cheeks, or when you feel the air cool, you know, cool past your neck, there's nothing but love out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the elements in the universe that with which we have contact that helps uh, make our lives bearable or pleasant right it feels very nurturing and i also sense not only you drawing from that uh, tenderness from the universe but also um, a sense of resilience that you wanted to show the readers as well especially when you said even though the line is very you know you have a visual element where it's like steps going downwards each step wearing my heart of steel down but in it you say my heart of steel and that is a lot of resilience and uh it also reminds me of Superman because, you know, he's man of <laughs> Obviously, steel. I love Superman. <laughs> <laughs> he's my second favorite superhero because uh, my first one goes to Captain America. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I do. I never thought of it that way, but that's a good thing. And I feel like, I, you know, when you said that, I brought this thought to mind because, at least for me, maybe I played like it was underneath all of this, the underlying emotions, but, you know, I feel like we, all the experiences that I've had in my life made my heart, you know, stronger, and maybe that's where I thought of the word steel, Mm. because my heart does feel, you know, strong from life in general, Mm. (laughs) but when you break something like metal, you have to really work at it, you have to do a quite amount of damage to something like metal. And mm. so I think that that's the thought that brought up to my head now that, you know, I could be st- the strong person in the world, the strongest person in the world, my heart can, but under the right circumstances with the right person, my heart can be broken by, by just in a snap. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has their kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. (laughs) 
Were you thinking of Superman when when you invoked this image? I know you didn't, uh, maybe consciously, but uh... no, actually, I didn't. Like, <laughs> but that's a good thing. I try to always like be thoughtful in my writing process, but like I always put myself just like, okay, I'm here in nature. Let's just write about nature and my emotions because that's where I really find comfort in. But next time, I might try and include something. I've been trying to be more experimental, so mm. maybe next one I write may have a, a slight reference to kryptonite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, even with this poem, right, this this visual element in, in the middle is almost like, visually, it looks like a slash, and I don't know if that's intentional as well or, or just happened that way. Yeah, when I was writing this, I knew I wanted to do this image. Like, I don't even know. I'm still trying to learn, like, uh, poetic terms and literature terms. But I know I wanted that, like, visual element mm -hmm. um, when, when, when the reader reads the poem. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make it, like, connected. Because before, in the line before, I say, I rush over the steps of dread. And... Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. You said slash, but I was thinking of steps. But, you know, mm -hmm. I love, it's always up for interpretation. Poem, um, poetry is always subjective. But I really wanted that visual element. I remember, I exactly remember I write down, even uh, when I do my um, poetry, I write it down. I always start off with writing it on just a blank sheet of paper. And then I edit and edit and edit until I finally have it. And I remember writing and trying my best to keep the line straight with mm -hmm. each letter going downward. But that's, that's yeah, I really wanted that visual aspect. Yeah, yeah. It does feel, looks like, and you say steps, right, in the previous line as well as this line itself. So it does have that step element of going down, you know, a slope. Um, at the same time, if you look at it further, if you pull your sight out further, because the upper half and the lower half of the poem are pretty much, um, I think the top half you have about five stanzas, the bottom half uh, is about four stanzas. So it basically this particular slope bisects that. So it has that feeling of the before and after almost. I didn't think about it being like before and after. All I knew is I wanted it to be balanced. Mm. The poem to look balanced when you look at it or symmetrical and mm. yeah, i wanted that for myself <laughs> yeah yeah especially after very much an upturning of one's life right that is heartbreak with a longer term relationship as well yeah and i i just wanted to reconnect because before writing this i was i i was off balance i you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, like I wasn't in line anymore with myself. So this poem kind of served as that for me to rebalance myself. And mm. that's what I wanted in the poem as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you achieved that as well, because in a way it is letting go and it is saying goodbye at the same time you're saying, you know, I am who I am partly because I've had this relationship and that affected me. Yeah, once again, it was just like part of my healing journey. I needed that for myself. Mm. <laughs> I needed that. But it was the bittersweet moment of letting go. And uh, there's no direction where the poem goes after this. But I think it's just that moment you take for yourself after it, after the whole grieving process and everything. And you reach this point of solitude and just kind of 
I guess, acceptance for what it is and this feeling of moving forward. And also because you are invoking nature and nature is very cyclical, right? Even in the penultimate or maybe two from the last, very last uh, one line stanza, you mentioned this uh, metaphor about the rose, how it wanted summer back. Um, at the same time, you, you said it cannot bloom for a hundred days. And even though a hundred days is a long time, at the same time, there is the promise of another bloom. That is true. That's actually a really good point you brought up. I never thought about that. You're blowing my mind too at the same time. <laughs> but um, when I said that line, I remember, I remember I saw that line somewhere when I was like 12 or 11 or something. And it's always stuck with me because I kind of felt like that was true. And the meaning behind it was that nothing good lasts forever, you know? Mm -hmm. When a rose blooms, when any flower blooms, it's at its peak, and it's so beautiful, and you want that beauty to stay forever. Mm -hmm. But sadly, it does not, and mm -hmm. that's both the and it, once again, it's the bittersweetness of it all. Um, you're sad to see it go, but you're happy for the time it gave you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I kind of invoked with that kind of going back to nature, this object or kind of using the rose as a uh, metaphor for the relationship. It was be it was beautiful while it lasted. It's sad to see that it didn't last for a hundred days or forever as long as it was at its time. But mm. that's the beauty of it all. Yeah, it is. I mean, like this is why we keep going, getting into relationships, right? Because we know that there's the good that comes with it. So when I read this poem definitely felt the heartbreak at the same time you still feel the beauty as i said before so that it's not one of those poems where you're just left with uh the feeling of wanting to crawl into a hole and never come out again <laughs> exactly <laughs> i guess like too many poems we read is just sadness there's just sadness and it's all and when you get done reading it you just feel nothing but sadness <laughs> and i didn't want that anymore like yeah i was sad and i but i was just tired of being sad honestly like it was mm. wasting my time and my energy to be you know mm. obsessively sad but um, once again, I needed this for myself to just kind of accept the situation for what it was. I couldn't do nothing. I really couldn't have done nothing to save it at any at, at that point when I wrote this poem and kind of just having to bitterly, sweetly let go and kind of go back to myself and myself being nature. That's where I find myself at and that's why I connected it back in. And so... Yeah. It's just one thing. Like the one part I really love <laughs> is um like the second stanza when they say entering our home made of adobe mm -hmm. with clay tinted from the sun kissed passion we mixed in together. Mm -hmm. I think that's my favorite my favorite like part of the whole poem because at first I like I like um when when I say a home, like this is the home we created, even mm -hmm. though it might not be like a physical place. Mm -hmm. It could be home could be anything. So I like that, and I make that serve as like home being the person, the, the relationship that we were in. That was home for me. That was right. home for them as well. And so, 
um, that was what we created. And I really liked when I added Adobe. That's where I kind of put in my cultural influence. I guess mm. it's not a Navajo thing, but it's more of a Southwestern thing. Mm. You see a lot of um, Adobe houses that, are, are, that come from the influences of the Pueblos. Mm. And you see that um, with their Pueblos as well, but made out of Adobe, which the Spanish you know, um, took um, influence from. So that's why you see it um, so you know prevalent um, in the Southwest. You don't yeah. see you see like a large amount of Adobe homes, so I wanted to include that, and I really just loved it when I said Sunkiss Passion. I don't know what happened, like I don't know what my thought process, but I remember writing that down, and I was like, that's just good, that's just good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's very, a uh, very nostalgic stanza, right, because you are talking about the good, the thing that you are mourning, you were mourning um, because you know, without the good, then it wouldn't hurt so much. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just having to reflect, and that's what I was doing honestly. And mm-hmm. you know, this whole poem was reflecting, which is part of the healing process. I needed to reflect on a lot the good and the bad, and I was reflecting on the good that we created. Then I delve into the reflection of you know where it eventually led where I was then. Mm, mm, yeah. I, I think it's great that you did the reflecting in this poem and whatever journal entries or other poems you've written as well about the relationship because in some ways, in every heartbreak, we, if we do reflect on it, we are also trying to learn from whatever mistakes we might have made or the relationship may have represented in our lives, right? So that going forward, we could try to repeat the good aspect of it and minimize the bad aspects of relationships. Yeah, and I was just grateful in the moment to find that this was my outlet. This is my where I could feel the emotion and cope with it. And I think that's just the beauty of poetry, but also not poetry, but the art that is but it could just also be expanded to whatever your interests lie you know mm. especially with the heartbreak whatever you're good at you put yourself into that you put your emotions into that like if you I think I see a lot and we see a lot with music you know we mm. hear about these songs about heartbreak and that's their own healing journey too and what they felt and I think that was beautiful kind of for me I was like ooh I feel like I'm, I'm an artist a bit now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I think when, when we are able to transform our pain into something that we both, we ourselves can look back on uh, and other people that we share uh, these pieces can look back on and say, um, you know, we did the best we can with it and we made something beautiful out of something painful. Yes, yes, it was. A beautiful thing and I, I remember what kind of influenced this and what's also been just influencing my writing has been music especially specifically R&B music and I feel mm-hmm. like that is just like especially because the type of R&B I'm into is like very um, 90s and early 2000s and I feel like it's mm-hmm. just nothing but like a good feeling for me and seeing how it kind of evolved into now with like my, my influences of music are like Kalani, Janae Aiko, Summer Walker, 
And it's not mm-hmm. even like the music itself. I like looking at the lyrics and how well, because I feel like it's a form of poetry that's sung. Yeah. And I've been trying to find my way into that kind of like delve deeper. But that's what also influenced this poem was just the music I was listening to that kind of helped heal. But also, I think it's just the rawness in their emotions when they sing. I was like, I want that because that's what I feel. If I'm not going to feel it, then I might as well sing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my heartbreak army songs I would sing. Mm. sing to the top of my lungs and I was like ah I want to do this for myself this time yeah yeah uh, music is definitely a um, way that we use to self-soothe um, mm-hmm. right and sometimes hearing that somebody else had a similar experience to us uh, you know in the lyrics or feeling the heartbreak in the musical phrasing helps because we know that we're not alone in this pain um, yeah and you just you just put yourself all into whatever you love whatever you're good at and you create something that you know you may the emotion may not last forever but this will last forever what you create and I think that's just the beauty of it too yeah yeah your poem the, the sense of something going missing something that you really appreciate or really love is now gone is now missing it reminded me of a poem i wrote not too long ago uh, and it's called departure Um, so i'm gonna read that now and then we can talk about it sometimes there's nothing heavier than a heart in pieces more parched than tear ducts after dousing their flow on the departed, whose spirit leaves a vacuum of silence, though their likeness feign an eternal rest. While beloveds wrinkle their hands to grasp souvenirs clipped from episodes replaying on the mind's reels, aspiring to fill the tearing gap in a four-chambered muscle Beating irregular to mourn is stolen parts. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. What was the thought process behind this and the emotions? Because I, I want to know about that. What were your thoughts and how did your how did you connect your thoughts with your emotions when you were writing this? I actually wrote this as a response poem to the person I dedicated to whose father had passed away from COVID. And they had written a poem about, similar to yours, about renewal, about the fact that we don't ever really go away. You know, maybe in our current physical form, we won't be there anymore. But then, you know, our bodies feed plant growth and flowers and life still moves in cycles Uh, and so when i read their poem this is the poem that came to my mind and i wrote it for them i really love that explanation and i really like the what you spoke about like renewal and especially within this case like a, a a person you know, although their physical body may not be here, their spirit still lives on. It transcends 
to something. And mm-hmm. you write, you write it here, especially. And I like the flow of it on all honesty because it does. You feel the pain, the sharpness of the pain, the the weight of it. And I love, I really love those. Just that first two lines is amazing because I just really imagine feeling like this, like holding this heavy weight of like pieces of. A heart could be glass, could be something, but it's just heavy in my hands, and I like that. And then you transition into how, you know, this feeling of, you know, we see more parched and tear ducts after dousing their flow into the parted, and that's just so beautiful. I had to give you, you know, credit for that. That is so beautiful. And it's just like I just like the flow of it, and it kind of just brings up that feeling of renewal at the end of it. It feels like I went through the stages of it all, but I came to this place of understanding and acceptance for what it is, and try to move forward with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like even though our two poems are, you know, one is about heartbreak and one is. Well, both of them are about heartbreak, but the reasons for them are different, right? One is about the end of a relationship. The other one, <laughs> you know, I keep wanting to say the differences, but all the similarities keep coming up, which is both are also about the end of a relationship. Uh, one is a deliberate breaking up of a relationship, whereas the other one is caused by someone else's uh, passing. Uh, death it's still the heartbreak is there and the feeling of something missing is there as well yeah and you obviously um, stated that you know you were um, influenced by the poem you know the person who felt the heartbreak uh, of you know the the sad passing of of, of someone they knew I just wanted to ask, like, what inspired you to put these um, words of imagery? What What was your state of mind? Like, why did you want to write, you know, a vacuum of silence or anything like that? What was the What was the influence behind that? Their poem was so heartfelt when I read it. I just I I don't know how to explain it, but I felt how they were feeling or I thought I felt how they were feeling when I read their poem. And I tried to put it in words and in imagery what, to me, they must have been feeling. So, in a sense, this poem is an exercise of empathy, though exercise is such a bad word for, you know, what I'm describing. And some of the things that made me think of what must have been causing their pain, you know, specifically, not just the overall fact of their father who they were close to is no longer with them. Because they had written it pretty much immediately after, I think it was the day after their father passed away. So I had written it right after I saw their post. So it was basically on the same day. And I had known, because I spoke with them on the day that it happened, because they were supposed to be at the same open mic as me. 
and they weren't there. So, and we all knew the people at the open mic all knew that their father was in the hospital. And the last time we had heard that he was actually doing better. At the same time, you know, we, we've heard through the year news reports of how people would get better and then suddenly turn for the worse. So I was just imagining all the things that they must have been experiencing, you know, the emotions. And also I knew that they became automatically the go-to person for their family in terms of paperwork and such, and that they had to take on this weight of responsibility that I don't know if they actually had a chance to express their sorrow aside from the poem in the ways that other people without poetry might uh, express that, such as crying, such as trying to remember all the good things, although that did already happen. I, I could tell because from, from their poem. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know that, I don't think I consciously thought about, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to use this imagery with that. It's, this poem is like what I often do, which is stream of consciousness. One thing that's, um, I don't do many visual poems. And so this one is uh, a little bit unusual in that it is a visual poem. And there is, similar to your poem, it is visually balanced with the exception of one short line that is not repeated in the second stanza that was there in the first stanza. And symbolically for me, that is the person who is no longer with them. Yeah, that was a lot of things I used to have stuff on. I kind of, you know, well, um, thank you for clarifying that. Having the explanation behind it. I really like the part where you said the person didn't have the chance to take in the, uh, or they took themselves out instead of feeling sad about the whole situation as is. It was more of less the kind of the reminders that were more painful than other parts and something that kind of is true um i felt with my poem too but i really like that how you did especially and when you said that kind of made it everything kind of click more especially when you said that it was just these, like these little things because you know the sad passing of a of, of you know of a parent of a relative the overall feeling you know like knowing that they're gone is sad but i think it's the little things that you know are more pain you know painful than anything else like the sweet reminders of the person and I really liked the, how you kind of put that in I think in the middle of the poem when you said souvenirs clipped from episodes are playing on the mind's reel and I feel like that was just kind of paying ode to that but you know I'm gonna leave that for you to explain but I really like that part kind of said that maybe this person was very into episodes or anything like that and I really like that yeah it I think when I wrote this part I was thinking about those 
home movies from like the 80s or 90s or something when there were like handheld cameras. If you ever seen handheld movies, handheld cameras, homemade movies from the 80s, 90s, or even 60s, 50s, you know, you could you could see these reels turning and these very imperfect images showing the person while they were living their regular lives or, uh, you know, showing parts of their lives with their families. And that's what we do, right, when we think of people who have left our lives that we still miss, that we wish we could get back, is that we play those nice scenes um, that make them so dear to us. Just like what you were talking about in your poem, The Sunkissed Passion, you were talking about it in terms of this, the home, the Adobe home that you built. You know, that image of those passions of that building a home together is the home movie that you have in your mind. And that's the one you play when you are thinking about this relationship you had that unfortunately has ended. And I thought that the person whose father had passed away, they would be thinking about those things too. And they did, in fact, post a number of pictures from the past with their dad. So that nostalgia of going back and seeing the good times that they had. Exactly. And I think that was one, like what you just said was really, it kind of summed it up for both of us. And it's really like, and I really like the thought process that I had because you brought up the, brought up, I guess, like the feeling of home. And it mm-hmm. delves in with both of our poems that home may not exactly be a place, like a physical place, but rather someone, you know? Mm-hmm. And for this person, home was always, you know, the, their father, their parent, and that will, will always forever be it. And when, once that person, you know, leaves your life, whether it be through heartbreak or through a passing or anything or any other way, you lose that sense of what home is and you have to redefine it. But it's still that sadness, like, that, because home brings so many comforting feelings with it. It brings so many emotions that are tied with memories. But once you take that feeling of home away, everything else kind of goes away with it as well. It may not be at the same time. And maybe these reminders may serve like, I remember what home used to feel. I haven't felt that in a while. But mm-hmm. it's like that bittersweet reminder. And I love how you put that on there. Thank you. So, yeah. I really also want to like ask about the last. I guess, no, let me ask this first before. Like, Can you explain sure. me the structure of the poem itself? Because... You know, I'm still trying to get into poetry, so I don't understand structure. So I would like an explanation. Like, what was the whole process behind making the poem the way it is now, like visually looking at it? As I said before, I don't usually have uh, write concrete poems or visual poems. Sometimes I just feel that the left align is insufficient in terms of expressing the feeling that I want to convey. And for this poem, I don't know that, you know, I had a sort of like a blueprint of what I wanted to do when I set out to write this poem. 
I tend to uh, move lines around after I've written the poem as a left aligned uh, straight down, you know, up down piece. Even with stanza breaks, I tend to just write and then go back and see where the stanzas ought to break. Sometimes it comes while I'm writing, but most, more often than not, I'm doing those things, uh, organizing the poem itself, moving the words around afterwards. So with the first stanza, the way that it appears, as you see it now, with On the Departed, you know, sort of looking like it's about to leave the rest of the lines and then missing from the second stanza. Um, I just saw that what I wrote kind of lend itself to something of a mirror, mirror image between the upper part, the first stanza, and the second stanza. And I wanted deliberately to leave that gap um, to again visualize the missing elements from the heart. So to reflect visually what the words were trying to say. That's beautiful because it, 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 there's parts missing, and I think the poem can serve as a whole of, of the heart. <laughs> mm. It's not. It's there's parts missing now. There's parts out of place. Just just from the effects of losing a father, a parent figure, the thing's not whole anymore. But at the same time, that's the beauty of it. It has a backstory. There's a reason for everything. And once you said that, now everything kind of makes sense, especially on the line where it says under departed, because that's the only line where there's a large amount of space that's left. And it is actually feels like it's like the three words are kind of separate, departed from the rest of the poem, which is visually like kind of pleasing that adds up to this whole like reason behind it as well. Mm, thank you. I really love that. And mm -hmm. I just love this whole poem. It's just, it's just so much. It's not really the imagery. It's kind of like the feeling more now, the more you read into it. And I really like the last two because it feels very close when you say, in a four-chambered muscle beating irregularly to, or irregular to mourn its stolen parts. Can you tell me a bit about more of that and how your interpretation is of that? Sure. So I actually borrow four chambers. There was a literary journal called Four Chambers in the Valley area, Phoenix, uh, more Phoenix, Phoenix Central. Uh, he, he was at the reading where you and I met, uh, actually, and he works for ASU now. Uh, so he, he was one of the founders of this journal. And I, I read about the journal some time ago. And you know, heart is one of those words that appear way too often in poetry. <laughs> yes. So I have a hatred for repeating things. So I tend to always write my poems while having the thesaurus open. Thesaurus.com is like my favorite go-to. Because I don't want to repeat the same words. And I do not want to say heart. I want it another way of saying it, 
that has a lot more imagery to it that that people can visualize more and I remember the title of the journal so I, I put that there and it is a muscle um, and you know a irregular heartbeat is actual heart condition um, and heartbreak could actually kill you so like all of these sort of both medical knowledge and just random knowledge I have I wanted to put into this line the or these two lines to again signify the mourning that was going on a different way of saying it so that people can feel it more while imagining what the heart was doing I never thought of it that way <laughs> and that makes more sense with you you saying that this is the heart without saying the word heart and that's just the most amazing way that anyone could think of especially when you say it's stolen parts because it kind of re- adds more to what you brought up earlier with like and I guess what I said earlier with the poem acting as the heart itself now there's pieces that are missing that may have been stolen or taken away with the passing on so they took that with them so now there's this um these, these voids in there and it's accidentally excellently seen in the poem as well and it's just beautiful and I guess just coming out of it like what was the person's reaction when you showed them this poem? Well, that's the irony because uh, unfortunately we had a falling out and I never had a chance to show this poem <laughs> to that person. And I have wanted to. The opportunity just never presented itself because they have been very busy after their father's passing with all the responsibilities around the family taking care of the you know, all the after death, after funeral, or the funeral, funerary aspects, paperwork, all of these things that we don't really think about when we think about death, because we think more about the emotional aspects rather than the logistical aspects. So they were quite, quite busy with that. And then something unfortunately happened, and, um, and we had a falling out, and this poem, I never had a chance to tell this person that I wrote a poem in reaction to their poem about their father's passing. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that, but I think I think it's just an act of kindness, though. Regardless, no matter what, any you know, no matter how you know the relationship between and this friend ended up I think it's nothing but again once again the topic of love and kindness is always there you did that out of your own heart and your own intentions were, were good at and thank you you know it's sad to say that it never came to light to get the reaction but nonetheless I think it's just a beautiful act of kindness and love that is that is there it's evident it's in writing it's evidence right now <laughs> and so Thanks. I think that's really beautiful, and uh, I just love it all. And and it's it's so concise too. It's it's how, how many lines is it in total? It's fifteen. Yeah, around 13? that. It's thirteen in, lines. Uh, thirteen lines. You you told me heartbreak without saying heartbreak, and 
of a passing of someone. And that's just, I, I, there's so many points. And I really, I really love the structure of it more than anything because there's so many terms that you use that add to the whole, you know, structure of it all. Like why there parts that aren't, aren't whole, why their lines aren't filled up, why there are big spaces. And you said, you say that even in the first two lines, a heart in pieces, this poems in pieces. <laughs> um, then you go into vacuum of silence, and there's vacuums of silence there, especially on the, the part, there's just that big vacuum of silence. Mm. And again, wrapping it up again at the end, and I think it's just, it's coming full circle. It's, it's just amazing. And Thank you. It's really beautiful, and I love, I love it all. I just want to know more about other people's reaction to this because I want to know um, other people's reactions to this after you told them because you know poetry is subjective mm. and my my thoughts on it is completely different. So, what was other people's reaction when you first read this to them? I've I read them uh, this poem. I've read them uh, this poem usually in conjunction following the the other person's poem because I really love the other person's poem as well. And when I read poetry that I find I resonate with, a lot of times it inspires me to write, not always on the same topic, but it leaves a, a good poem leaves a fingerprint on you. Ah, <laughs> I like that last, that last part. I like that. <laughs> That, wait, can we just talk about that? You just said a poem leaves a fingerprint on you. That is a most descriptive, amazing way someone can say it had such a profound impact. That's so beautiful. And you just came up with that out of nowhere. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're so sweet. I really, really appreciate how much you delve into this poem and talked about this poem with me in conjunction to your poem and the different ways of, um, you know, two major ways of heartbreak that I think most people would understand. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think our poems also just talk about the, the experience of life, you know, mm. especially with the topic of heartbreak too, and our, our poems delving on two different topics of it, whether it be from, you know, a relationship ending or uh, the passing of someone. I think that these poems serve as kind of life experiences that, you know, God forbid anything, but like we will eventually come to know one of these days in our lives and maybe these poems will come swirl circles and then we can reflect on again. And I think that's beautiful that we were able to kind of have that for our each other and hopefully for others because for me I want my poetry to heal not mm -hmm. only for myself but for others who read it to resonate with them and mm -hmm. like you said I want my poetry to leave a fingerprint on another person when they read it it resonates so much and I see that with your poem as well and I really hope that our poems can offer that for people who are going through situations like this whether it's a passing of a relative or a heartbreak I wish that you know they they come across their poems, hopefully, and once they do, they are able to take away from this this poem. It was like, if I can't say it, 
or anything, I might as well feel it with mm. it, you know, reading with it. Like, there's so many ways to interpret a, a, a passing, but yet putting it into words is nothing easy. But yes, the best best way is through poetry and something that you, in my in my eyes, that you achieve. And poetry is like always taking emotions and the feelings of them and putting them into words. We have to feel the emotions and in some sense we have to become them to, to write them out. And I think that was amazing. I guess also my next question would just be like, aside from, you know, feeling the impact of, you know, this friend relative passing um, that kind of allowed you to write about it, was there any other influences that came up, you know, from your past experiences that kind of added to the poem? A family friend did also pass away, but I don't remember if it was, I think it was after this. So, um, so I don't think that impacted this poem. I've had other family members that have passed away, but I don't think, um, I did not feel the immediacy of it because this happened, this poem was written right after their dad had passed and they had written their poem. So it was very immediate. It was very palpable. And, and so I think some of what I went through before, either through friends or family who's had deaths in their own families, probably impacted more this poem than my own immediate experience. I also want to uh, want you to be able to tell us, for instance, uh, if you have any particular open mics that you would recommend to people, like virtual open mics. And also, what's the best way that people can follow you online or if you have a website and such? Yeah, um, before anything, um, you know, just because of time, but uh, obviously... Um, I want to thank you so much for sharing this poem with not only me, but to our, our listeners out there and kind of and having this full discussion that we had that, about both of our poems and yours as well. So I want to thank you for sharing that with us. And as far as open mics, um, I'm still relatively new to the um, to this world, to this field, to this community and poetry. Actually, the open mic night that we went to that was the first time I ever went to one because oh, wow. that's. Yeah, I, I, this, this year has been this has been like the first few steps I've taken to really be active, to really mm. push myself to be in this community. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit sad to say that I, I don't know what other mics to recommend, just because I don't have that type of knowledge on me. But nonetheless, mm. I encourage others who are listening and everyone to go out and find these things, follow people, follow poets out there, because. And not only is it our, our job, but it's our form of expression, our creativity, mm-hmm. our of passing our emotions and everything. It's such a beyond this world type of feeling that we want to share with everyone. So always go out, support your friends that are poets, support anyone in your community that is, support poets that mean that have historically not had that opportunity as we have today, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, go out and find indigenous poets, go out and find, you know, um, black poets, Asian poets, every type of poets you can find out there because there's so much stories that mm-hmm. we have behind each poem, every emotion that we can 
feel. There's something out there. Mm -hmm. There's always something to connect with. So that's the one thing I would say in terms of not being able to recommend a mic night. But yeah, no, don't always, worry about uh, that. Yeah, go out and support. And as far as for me, uh, you can find me on social media, Instagram and Twitter. I'm not active as much on there just because I'm taking my own journey nowadays just to mm -hmm. be disconnected because I guess this pandemic has shown me how connected we were to technology, how I was, mm -hmm. and how much it took over my life. So it's sad to say I'm not active on that, but I'm always glad to connect with you and with everyone who's listening on Instagram at um, Colton Nephew <laughs> and on Twitter at It's Your Nephew. But yeah, and once again, uh, there's not much I can offer because um, I'm still starting out, and a part of that is not me sharing my poems just yet. Um, mm -hmm. I want to work on it a bit more, mm -hmm. but also because I hold these things close to my heart. It's me being vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, and that's something I do take a little bit serious, like my vulnerability. Um, yeah. So some of my poetry is not really out there, but I hope this serves as a starting point for me to at least take that step to put out there. Me um, too. But I thank you for inviting me to the, to your podcast. I think this will give me more ideas to go from and which direction I want to take my poetry into. And so, um, once again, you can always find me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, um, on both sites, or on both platforms. You can go on my, on my um, link tree and find a website that's still in the works, but it's going to get done. <laughs> so um, be on the lookout. It's called awesome. Painted Mesas. Um, I originally um, created it for one of my journalism classes, but kind of just, I was like, well, it's already created. Might as well go make, you know, my, might as well make something out of it. So yeah. I'm slowly kind of going into that. So cool. um, as far as that, I, I'm glad to have been here and share my poetry, my story, my voice. And I think you as well for sharing that with me yeah me too i'm really grateful for you coming on and i feel like privileged that you decided to share your poem and your vulnerability with us because it's you know it's not easy and that's one of the things that's fortunately easier to find in the poetry community to to find people who are safe spaces at the same time, for uh, poets of color, especially indigenous poets, I feel uh, there aren't that many venues out there that where you can feel held safe. So I, I really appreciate that you did decide to talk with me today. Thank you. Yeah, and we're doing great work out there in the field that has historically never been for us. You know, yeah. this this field, this community has never made space for us, but it's until recently and predecessors before us they've been making spaces and we will continue to do that not only now but for other poets to come within yeah. the next generations and i'm glad to see the work that we're doing yeah yeah me too thank you again you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on instagram and twitter under poets and muses you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.